From McKinsey Strategy and Corporate Finance Practice, I'm Sean Brown, and welcome to Inside the Strategy Room. Today, we continue our Committed Innovator series of conversations with Kwijarn Han of DBS Bank. Kwijarn joins us from Singapore, where he's Managing Director, Group Head of Strategy and Planning, and a member of the Group Executive Committee at DBS. Prior to joining the bank, Kwijarn had a 27-year career at Citibank in Singapore, where he led many of their very successful businesses and served for seven years as the Citibank Singapore CEO and a board member. Today, Kwijarn speaking with Eric Roth, a senior partner at McKinsey and a leader in our global innovation practice, about how innovation really happens at DBS. They'll speak about the moonshots Kwijarn and his team have taken at DBS, how they've created psychological safety to better foster innovation, and the many steps DBS has taken on their multi-year transformation journey to become one of the world's most innovative banks. And a quick reminder, you can find other innovation episodes in the series at mckinsey.com slash committed innovator, and by searching for the Committed Innovator podcast on your preferred podcast platform. We'll also include a link for you to follow in today's show notes. And now, here's Eric. Kwijan, thanks for chatting with us. We're so excited to have you on the Committed Innovator podcast. To get things rolling, what brought you to DBS after your long, successful career at Citibank? Well, I guess from the outside in, when I looked at what was happening in DBS, it looked really, really exciting. With the vision of having to be the world's best digital bank and also very curious over how the bank has transformed itself from being just a local bank into one which has been nominated and won the World Bank's Bank Award. And so there must be a lot of fun, th- fun stuff happening there. And so I thought, why not join them and, and learn about it? So as you looked at DBS and, and you saw that it was this leading digital innovator in terms of a bank and in terms of the culture, the, what, what, what was most, most noticeable in terms of difference? I think what is most no- noticeable about uh, the two organizations is in DBS, um, the sense of purpose and mission is very clear. Uh, not only just at the C-suite level, but also right through the organization. And everybody knows what the bank is about and what the bank wants to do uh, and how it wants to serve the customers. Our stated mission is we say we want to make banking joyful. And I think to the outside world, when they hear that, they say, oh, wow, make banking joyful sounds really lofty. What do you really mean by that? For us, it really means that we want to enrich lives and transform businesses by providing amazing solutions Uh, and experiences uh, in a sustainable way. The bank has a very strong sense of purpose. And we've got this ambition of saying we want to be the best bank for a better world. And and when we talk about that, people start to imagine and say, what does that really mean in terms of purpose, in terms of how we serve the customers, our communities, and as well as with each other? You know, having interacted with many banks over the years all over the world, Innovating and creating these amazing experiences is difficult for many of them. Most of them would probably, if they're being honest, say this is a real pain point. So what is the process or the approach or the, the way of working that DBS has deployed that enables this innovation engine to fire in the way that you're describing? I would say that we are uh, continuously learning. So I wouldn't say that we have reached the apex of uh, innovation. But we did uh, construct a a framework that allows us to look from what is happening in the near future into ensuring that everybody's participating in innovation. And we call it an innovation pyramid. So there are four layers to the pyramid. Uh, First layer is what we call big themes, 
big bet. Second is platforms. Third is uh, journeys. And the last one is entrepreneurship. So what is interesting on that is we said, when you look at innovation, when you look at what's happening you know, at the edge of technology, we decided that the, the top management team has got to sit down together and understand what is happening out there and then decide what is relevant for us. 5G IoT looks really interesting. Uh, clean energy looks really interesting. So what do we do with it? And we decided that we're going to invest some money into all of it to understand it better. One of the complaints that many banks say is our technology holds us back. But it sounds like for you, it's the opposite. How, do, how does that work? I think for us, we, we were inspired by the same complaints that we hear as what you've just identified. Tech will blame business to say that they are all interested in pushing for new features. We want to make sure that there's resiliency. And then business will say tech is just spending all this time on resiliency and they're just fiddling with technology. They're really not delivering what we need them and way too slow. So we decided, okay, stop quibbering. Why don't the two of you come together, own the budget, decide on what you want to do with it. Do you want to build new product or do you want to make it more resilient? Make your, make your choice. So we often run across companies that are eager to pursue moonshots, yeah. but they're afraid to make the resource allocation decision to go after them. So how is it that the moonshot gets decided and then sufficiently resourced at DBS so it's have a chance of being successful? We have this group innovation council meetings. And this is again where the uh, senior management team would come together um, with different platform owners. Uh, the platform owners typically are maybe three, four down from the CEO. Mm -hmm. And they'll come and present and say, these are our vision for our platform. And we debate about it. We say what makes sense, what doesn't make sense, looking at big themes. And we say, the technology seems to be evolving in this area. Why don't you just look at that? And then we arrive at what would be reasonable bets that we want to do. And we say, part of your budget, maybe you want to commit a certain percentage of it to go do something with it. And start small. Then we have a process called the Horizon 3 process. And we created moonshots for each of the platform and say, what would a moonshot for you look like? And then work backwards on uh, the different developments that you are going to make in order to reach that moonshot for your platform. Tell me a little bit more about working backwards, because that's actually one of the themes that we explore with a lot of clients that, that says, you know, if you want to de-risk something, start with the end, work backwards. How does that work at DBS? That's right. So for us, I'll just take the payment platform, for example. And when we take a look at a payment platform, we ask ourselves and say, what would be a moonshot for payment platforms? And I guess the ultimate moonshot would really be on an instantaneous settlement of payments 24-7 for any currency, instantaneously yeah. like that. And that would be a moonshot, right? And so when we work backwards from there and ask ourselves, where are we today? What do we need to experiment? And we say, we've got to try and learn about this blockchain mm -hmm. technology because it's got all the wonderful attributes that could potentially reach that moonshot. What are some of the other elements that define the way that innovation and growth happens at DBS? Customer journey is something that we would look at very, very closely. Uh, in fact, we often talk about, so what's the journey like for the customer in any product and services that we sell? And we have a process called WOW Accelerator. So this is about creating WOW in the journey. Um, and how do we accelerate that, that experience for the different journeys that we have? I think one great example coming out from there was, as you know, you stayed mm -hmm. in Asia for 10 years uh, in Singapore. 
every Chinese New Year or Lunar New Year, people would like to give mm-hmm. a gift of blessing. So that's always a red packet, of course. Packet, yep. Money in it. And say, you know, this is what we call as Hong uh, Pao uh, in Mandarin or Ang Pao in, uh, in Hokkien, uh, which is one of the dialects. And, and so we said that in itself has got a bit of a problem. One is, you know, paper gets wasted because it's only a single use and there is a lot of cash flying around. So, so we decided to have a Cura gift code. So we have this Pela super wrap that we have. And so we created a, uh, a QR code um, with the well wishes that you can have embedded in the uh, Pela app and just scan it, indicate the amount and just give a piece of a QR code to somebody. And, and, and that was a journey that we thought about and say, cut down the queues at the branches when people are queuing for new notes. It's something that you can personalize messages. You can send it right across to people across the world. Uh, on Chinese New Year, and, and that solves a lot of problems. They make it simple by scanning it, and the other side receiving it by scanning it, and that's it. So that was the journey that we were thinking through, and we designed it. Uh, and that came through the Wow Accelerator. So you just described a, a number of things that occurred for that to be successful. How did the bank and DBS imagine that journey and bring it to life and have confidence? This is really confidence that it would work given the magnitude of the behavior change that you were introducing? It's a multiple step. And the first thing that we did was, as you uh, may be familiar in Singapore, we have this Pela app. And that is an app that started as a peer-to-peer payment and eventually became the super app where you can do almost anything uh, with it. Um, And many of the payments that occur on Pela involve scanning of QR code. So, So we saw volumes on that and we say that we've got Two million customers using it quite actively. Uh, why not introduce this and let's see whether people are comfortable with scanning a code? You would also know that it's culturally more acceptable for people to receive new notes because there is an element of newness and freshness in the year. And so how do you then play that up? Uh, how do you minimize that sense of, oh, it's longer, fresh and new by changing the messaging that you can give uh, when you're sending it out electronically? So that's something that we did. Uh, obviously, like in all things in technology, it takes a while for it to come up and ramp up. So year one, the adoption was okay. Year two, uh, more people took it on. And then year three, it just took off. Thanks to COVID as well. <laughs> what changed when COVID occurred? Um, not just in terms of how the bank operated and obviously the, the um, incredible challenges that inevitably existed, but how did the bank then adopt or adapt its model in terms of how it was trying to serve its customers with with the pandemic surrounding it? We have gone through a fair bit of transformation since 2010. And one of the core things that we did was we said, we're going to be digital to the core. And we look at our tech stack to enable us to be nimble uh, in uh, the way we organize ourselves from a technology standpoint and how we deploy tech. That was mm-hmm. really, really critical. Because that enabled us to have a platform that serves both our employees and our customers literally with a flip of the switch when COVID happened. Many of the things that we did uh, prior to COVID was to move customers to the digital platform. Our digital platforms were already well uh, into many years of it being developed and the journeys are all pretty good. And uh, that allowed us to very quickly onboard customers for those who haven't come on board digitally to just use it. And through the interactions that we created, we were able to engage our customers and show them how they could do banking 
without being constrained by by the whole COVID. So during COVID, you know, as in Singapore, we have quite a fair number of migrant workers that helps us in the construction industry. And during COVID, they were all on lockdown. But they've got one need. And one need was, I need to send money back home. And right. because I can't go to the, the shops that I normally visit to get uh, money sent across, what do I do? So what we did was we helped to open 40,000 accounts for these workers uh, over a very short period of uh, two to four weeks and showed them how they could use the digital banking and use DBS remit to remit the money back home, be it in Bangladesh, in India, or in uh, uh, Indonesia or, or elsewhere in Asia. Did you find as though you were investing more or less in innovation during the COVID times? I think for us, during the COVID times, it gave us the opportunity to ask ourselves, what could we do differently or how could we use the technologies that we've been investing in to create new businesses or new opportunities? So it didn't stop, but it went to a different level of saying, instead of just innovating it on existing services, we went on to say, how can I use this to really up the experience for our employees such that it is good for them because a lot of them are working from home. And, and how much of what you experienced and learned during COVID is likely to stick now that we're hopefully and, and slowly but surely coming out of the pandemic times? In the midst of COVID, we decided that whenever we exit from COVID, we will do a hybrid working environment, 60-40. We decided very earlier on that we are not going back 100, we're going to 60-40. I think we recognize, and, and because we're constantly speaking with our employees, finding out how they are, that's pretty much who we are. We have a great culture of uh, collaboration and also care for our employees. And so we were constantly checking in and, and finding out that one of the biggest things that we wanted to do pre-COVID was to get people to work part-time or even work from home to have flexible work hours. And, and all that was really difficult before COVID because nobody could imagine that they could do it from home. How, how, have, how have you at DVS sort of thought about um, what the impact may or may not be to innovation with the new 60-40 model? COVID has accelerated a lot of digitization from three years into six months. But for us, it wasn't about that alone. It was about creating new businesses, and we managed to do a few uh, through COVID. But we also realized that we are all social creatures. It is important to bring people back, which is why we landed on 60-40 to say that it is important to come back and maybe do your initial ideation uh, in person. And then thereafter, that we have the necessary tool and meeting disciplines to allow you to continue the ideation with a hybrid setup. And when you feel that it is important to bring everybody back again, then, then the 60-40 rule allows you to bring people back into the office and face-to-face. -face, and then you peel off again and do in parts virtual and, and hybrid. Do you think that DBS gets an advantage in the way it's able to experiment and do many of the things that you're describing because it's in Singapore? Or, or is, is that a limitation, the fact that it's in Singapore and, and may not have as big a market, so to speak, to play in, at least locally? I think it has both pluses and minuses. I mean, the, the, the positive thing is that we are the dominant bank in Singapore. And so from a customer-based perspective, we bank or 5 million plus uh, people staying on this wonderful uh, country and island. 
and, and that gives us the opportunity to test quite a few concepts at scale of sorts. I mean, if you can get a million people trying something, that's great, right? And uh, you Absolutely. don't need 10 million. Um, and, and so I think that that is uh, um, the, the great part of it. I guess the cons would be because everybody on the island have already banked with that. So where is the upside on anything else new that you're going to do, right? And so I think that's the downside in terms of having only five plus million people. But I think our strategy of being the Asian bank uh, allows us to define three big countries that we say we're going to invest more in, India, China, Indonesia. And, and the populations in those countries Massive. are <laughs> exactly. multiple times of Singapore. Massive, right? Massive. Two of the most populous countries are in that list. And, and so that gives us the opportunity to then scale up some of the experiences that we tried and tested in Singapore and say maybe this will also work in India and in China and in Indonesia in parts. Uh, obviously, it cannot be in whole uh, because the countries are different. So DBS doesn't innovate by itself, uh, as I understand. Uh, it does have an ecosystem around it. Can you talk a little bit about that ecosystem and, and how you engage in it and how it creates an advantage uh, as, you, as you drive growth and create innovation? Yeah. So again, I go back to the pyramid of innovation, and this is where the, the, the bottom layer itself, and as well as the wild accelerator actually helps us. When we think about journeys, for example, and in creating wild accelerator, we would then look around and say, what technology or who has great technology that can help us solve part of that uh, uh, friction or, or problem that we encounter in trying to create a, an excellent customer journey and a differentiated one. And that allows us to then, you know, put out a problem statement and invite fintech companies or other companies to come in and tell us, hey, I've got a solution and that's something that we can work with you on. The last layer of innovation had it as uh, entrepreneurship and that allows us to, to bring in um, ideas from all of our employees and then we'll float those out as problem statements for, again, hackathons and for people to respond with solutions and we work with them. So, Quijan, a lot of what you're describing is an artifact of great leadership. Can you talk a little bit about how leadership plays an important role in DBS's success as being a great innovator? Yeah, I think for us, you know, we believe that transformation leadership means that first you've got to excite people with a vision. And secondly, the cultural behavior that you want to see within the bank. And for us, we basically say there are four things that we need to do from a cultural behavior that uh, needs to come through. One is you've got to create a psychological safety, an environment where people feel safe to speak up and to challenge. We've got to create an environment whereby collaborative work is practiced and not just talked about. Be courageous in your feedback, regardless of who you're speaking with. And finally, have a growth mindset because um, whatever that we have achieved will be overtaken by somebody else tomorrow and what are the new things you need to learn in order to be even better than yourself today? So these are the things that we thought is important. And last but not least, obviously, leaders need to walk the talk. Psychological safety. Yeah. Such an important environment to be able to create, to get the best out of individuals in the way they can contribute to innovation. Yeah. The, the challenge is, so the concept is starting to become better and better known. But how do you actually integrate that at scale within or your organization? Yeah. So I'll be the first to admit that we are not there. It is a journey and we haven't reached the end goal. It is something that we say, again, from a, the equivalent of a moonshot. 
for cultural behavior would be an organization with 100% you know, psychological safety. So what we do is we believe in what we call beans, a way of approaching and, and getting things changed in a bank. And beans is just an acronym for uh, behavior, enablers, artifacts, and nudges. So B-E-A-N. And that means that we've got to think about what sort of behavior we want to mold and change. So I'll give you an example. Meetings. All of us are in meetings all day long. And meetings are where psychological safety is being practiced. Sometimes it makes or break in meetings. And so we created a program called Mojo. So you have Mojo at the meeting. And what does that really mean? Again, Mojo is just an acronym. Mo is the meeting owner. And Joe is a joyful observer. So Mo is the guy who calls the meeting. And Mo will assign a Joe at a meeting and say, that, okay, Eric, why don't you be the Joe? Uh, and your job is really to call out any behavior that you think is inappropriate. And your job is also to keep the meeting on time. And your job is also to say, I haven't really heard anybody challenging anything that's been said. And last but not least, Joe has the power to make an evaluation at the end of the meeting to say, how did it go? And Joe would say, well, I think it was a great meeting, a lot of participation, and uh, people were able to speak up, or, nah, I think we were so-so, and there wasn't really, I mean, in some parts, people were shut down and didn't really have a chance to challenge what was being said. I think we could do better in that. Everyone should have a growth mindset. What, what exactly is a growth mindset in, in the DBS world? I think for us, growth mindset is really about curiosity. And curiosity is not just curiosity around what is happening from the technical side of your job. But curiosity is also about curiosity around how you have impacted on others and how you could change your behavior to create an even better environment and in the bank. And it also goes back to if you are a leader, then growth mindset also means evaluating on how can I lead my people better? How can I engage them better? Um, so it's a multitude of things, right, Eric? I mean, it's just not just one tech, I'm not saying growth mindset, but it involves the very being of you, the technical side, how you interact, how you lead, you know, how you impact on people, on society. You know, many organizations want to transform themselves and set lofty goals. How does the leader or whatever other mechanisms that take place, translate that transformational vision in, into something that a bank can go and execute? I think the magic is in the scorecard that we set up. So for us, there are three parts to the scorecard. 40% of the scorecard goes into the usual financial matrices and as well as employee matrices that you put in and customer matrices. So those are the hard numbers that you know every organization would have. But we say that constitute only 40% of your appraisal of what? And in the middle of the scorecard for 20% is what we call make banking joyful. And that's where we transform many of our activities into saying, what does it mean to have a differentiated customer experience and what are the things you've got to do and manage differently? And then the bottom 40% is what we call area of focus. And these are areas that we say are important for the bank and the longer term things that we want to achieve, break them down into smaller chunks and, and what does that look like within the year from a progress standpoint? And then that constitutes our scorecard. And so the scorecard gets changed every year, obviously. And the bottom of the scorecard gets changed based on the progress that we have made on transformation. 
and key strategies that we're going to execute and get on to the next stage. I go back to the scorecard because the scorecard is the one that allows us to have conversations around progress within the year. And that sort of like serves uh, a strong compass for people. Um, because through the scorecard gets cascaded down to throughout the whole organization and people set their goals against that. The other thing that we also feel is important and we've enabled people to do is we believe in being a data-driven and AI-fueled bank. So as you said, many of these things requires data. Many of these things requires information. And so we have also uh, helped our teams to think about how do you, what, what are the key matrices that you should look at for your businesses? And we call it a data-driven operating model. And in there, we identify what are the core drivers that people should look at and use data and AI ML to populate it for them to be able to see it rather than spending time trying to pull the data, which is quite laborious. Yeah, and, and that enables people to see. And, and I guess things like Mojo reminds you in terms of what is important because um, you meet all the time. So I think that's something that I'm really excited about on marrying the possibility of what technology can bring into um, what it can deliver to, to the end customers. Thank you so much, Kui Jarn and Eric, and thank you all for listening today. You can find other episodes in our innovation series at mckinsey.com slash committed innovator. And don't forget to follow the new Committed Innovator podcast on your preferred podcast platform. And don't forget to search for and subscribe to the new Committed Innovator podcast on your preferred podcast platform, part of the Inside the Strategy Room network. We'll include a link for you to follow in today's show notes. As always, we'll also share a transcript of today's conversation on our Inside the Strategy Room podcast collection page, available at mckinsey.com slash ITSR, where you can also explore our library of more than 100 previous episodes. If you'd like to share feedback or an idea for a future podcast, please email us at insidethestrategyroom at mckinsey.com. Finally, if you'd like to receive alerts on our latest insights, you can sign up on our podcast collection page on mckinsey.com slash ITSR, follow us on Twitter at MCK Strategy, or connect with us on LinkedIn on the McKinsey Strategy and Corporate Finance Practice page. Thanks again for listening. We look forward to having you join us again soon inside the Strategy Room.